She's on the money. She's on the money. <laughs> Welcome to She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. As you guys know, I'm financial advisor Victoria Devine, and this week we're mixing the episode up a little bit by inviting my friend and fellow money podcaster Glenn James from My Millennial Money on the show. Hello, Glenn. Ahoy hoy. Hello, Victoria, and hello to all of your listeners. Hello, friends. Today on the show, we're going to be addressing some of your most asked questions. And to do that, we've actually got our producer and, on another note, Summer Breakfast Radio host on Kiss FM, Brian John, to ask Glenn and I the hardest hitting ones. So, you like embarrassing me? I do. It's actually my favorite thing in this entire world, but it seems quite reciprocal. Okay. Before we get there, though, in true She's on the Money style, we are going to be talking through our money wins and confessions from this week. And, Glenn, because you are our guest, you get to go first. What have you got for us? Well, when you said to come on the podcast and have a money win, I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know if I've got one this week. Everybody has them. I know. It was last Friday night. I kid you not. I was going to a mate's house for a barbecue. Went to Coles. They had uh, a pack of pre-marinated meat, you know, wings and drums and all that stuff. And it had like discounted to sell because obviously it was going out of date in about 10 minutes. But you were going to be using it that night, right? Exactly. So, it was $13 down to $11. Went up to the counter and they scanned it and they said, we can't sell it to you because it's best before today. And I said, mate, it's going on the barbecue in about 10 minutes. Um, I'm happy to still buy it. And they got one guy, they couldn't work it out. The next person came and I said, hey, I'll just take it if you want. And they said, yeah, no worries. Take oh it. Oh my so gosh, I that's an epic money win. And this was like, it's so bizarre because most of us who have a job and have an income, $11 it's not changing our world too much. No, but it's exciting. But I was I was so excited. I was bouncing out to my car and I'm like, oh, I've got a money win. <laughs> yes. podcast. I need to ask though, it's only really a money win if you ate it and didn't get sick because if it was in yeah. fact too old, then it's probably not a win. So how was yeah, it? Yeah, what can I say? I was in hospital for three days. <laughs> <laughs> but I've but still got my $11. Because healthcare <laughs> in Australia is free. <laughs> Ryan, do you have a money win or confession that might impress us just as much? Certainly won't impress you. I've actually bought a confession. Oh, okay. No, I like those just as much, if I'm being honest. Yeah, so I've just moved into a house in Richmond, down the road. You're fancy, yes. Thank you. And I haven't moved all the utensils or got stuff for the kitchen and stuff yet. Mm. So one of the risks of moving to the city was me being scared about spending too much on Uber Eats. It is a real risk. Yeah, because I live out in the country, so there's no Uber Eats out there. And I promised Bridget I wouldn't spend much on Uber Eats, but because I had no plates and cutlery of my own, I had it on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday. Okay, so that's probably a little bit irresponsible. Do we feel a bit guilty ordering from Uber Eats? Because I do, knowing that the retail like the retail is getting probably slammed with their sliced Uber Eats. I do. And I have recently been using a company called DoorDash because I feel better because a higher percentage of their commission or whatever it is goes to the actual like hospitality company providing the food. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate concern. I do feel a little bit guilty when that happens. Also a little bit lazy when I'm, you know, ordering something from the place down the road that is like 300 metres away. So... Maybe we should all use Uber Eats a little less and not not worry about not eating takeaway. I drove around to my local um, pizza shop the other night and I couldn't get a car park out the front 
and I almost parked back at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I just want to add that it's also a bit rich from Victoria Divine to say we shouldn't get Uber Eats as much because we've hung out all day today, V, and this is the first time we've hung out and not had Uber Eats in probably the last six or seven times we've hung out together. Yeah, I'm also just going to call it out. You could have had an epic money win that every time we order Uber Eats, it's usually me ordering it, and I ordered you pizza on the weekend. And oh, you did too. Yeah, I that didn't was a pretty good money win. Thanks for having like, me over on the weekend. Yeah, you're welcome. I also made some really, really good margaritas, guys. Recipes on my Instagram for those of you who are interested. But moving on, I will let you know what my money win or confession is. This week, I actually have a money win for you guys. I've bought a coffee machine, which is incredibly exciting. Mm. As you know, I love a good coffee and usually go to the cafe literally every single day. And I finally have my own coffee machine and it is delightful. It has those Lavaza pods. So it literally... Yeah, what sort did you get? I got the Smeg coffee machine with the pods and it's like the Lavaza pods and they are premium. I will let you know they also make an epic espresso martini. Is this a paid ad? No, it's not. Like (laughs) I wish they were paying me, but I would say 10 out of 10 would get again because it's so easy. And I felt like I was really worried about getting a coffee machine because the cleanup would be something I didn't want to deal with. But I'm probably going to get slammed for the fact I use pods. But I was going to say, the is, point. That, uh, is that what they're calling it? Coffee, is it? Yeah, oh. yeah. Like, Len's a bit of a coffee connoisseur. I'm, I'm so I launching. kind of strategically put this on this episode right. because I knew I'd get slammed yeah. by him and I welcome that. Yeah, I'm launching my millennial coffee and I've just done all the testing. It's my own blend because categorically you can save so much money making it at home whether it's through a filter and drip and all that stuff or french press or even through the pods categorically over the long term if you actually want to save money and you do love your coffee uh, you just have a bit of an outlay and it's a bit of a uh, cost recovery exercise but yeah i support anyone making coffee at home i love that But moving on, let's take a look at our Facebook communities. Usually we only look at the She's on the Money community, but this week we are going to look at our community as well as your Facebook group, My Millennial Money, Glenn. So I'd love you to again start. Did you have any posts that really stood out to you this week? I totally did. And it actually made me a bit emotional in terms of the impact that Glenn, who's a bogan on the Central Coast that likes Fords, had on somebody from starting My Millennial Money. But that's really sweet. What is it? It's Emily. And she might even be in your community, but whatever. All good. Emily Rodman. Flashback to September 18, living paycheck to paycheck and 30 grand in personal car loan debt and stressed. Discovering this podcast, listening to the back catalogue and getting motivated, plus all the amazing people in the M3 community. Flash forward to yesterday, officially bad debt free, paid off 30 grand in debt in just over two years, five years early and have three months emergency funds set in place. So excited for what the future holds and knowing that I have achieved this without sacrificing fortnightly pizza. That's very important. Thank you so much, Glenn and the team for helping me get my foundations and mindset sorted. It feels amazing. How epic is that? I love that and I couldn't love it anymore. Like how exciting is it when your community, they don't just have like one money win, they've literally changed their money story. Like that stuff But I mean, it's so amazing. Like you can guarantee her income would probably not be, and I'm being presumptuous, but her income probably wouldn't be over 100 grand. She's just been intentional. She's been dialed in and she's gone and 
Got it. I actually love that. And I think that it's so nice to share money wins like that because it's also motivational for the communities at large because it's so possible if you just put your nose down and get it done. Like these people are doing it. If you're in this situation, you absolutely can too. And also thank you for trusting us enough to share that story. Like money is not the easiest thing to talk about, but then to go on a public platform, I mean, semi-private, let's be honest, public platform and talk to us about exactly what you've done and what you've achieved. That's epic and I love it. Yeah, it's so good. So thank you, Emily. Thank you, Emily. Ryan, John, have you got something from our community? I really doubt it'll be as self-promotional as Glenn's was, but that's okay. (laughs) Oh, piss off. (laughs) (laughs) I actually feel a bit uh, weird now because that was so motivational, inspiring. Mine is quite the opposite. It's from the She's on the Money Instagram and her name is Chasely, I believe. Chasely, awesome. Yep. She says, little win, but exciting nonetheless. I won the McDonald's Monopoly voucher and it covered my whole meal. Heck yes! <laughs> Nothing like some free food for a pick-me-up. Now, the reason I love this is because I've actually never heard of anyone ever actually winning the McDonald's Monopoly. I would have to agree. I always hear, you see the ads, it comes out every year, you collect the little things, you go, oh, if I just get the other one, but I've never actually known anyone to actually win it. So Chasely, well done on your free Macca's meal in a Monopoly contest. I love that. And if anybody in our community has actually won Anything more than that on a McDonald's Monopoly game, please post it in our community. I want to see it. Who gets those jet skis? Yeah, who (laughs) got the jet ski? All right, V, what's your favourite one this week? So my community shout-out, again, not as good as Glenn's. I believe that my Millennial Money's community has won out here, but mine's really wholesome and it's from our friend Lauren and she's posted and she said, so I wanted to share a little story with you. I was talking to my 83-year-old grandfather about starting a little side hustle and he mentioned maybe he should make an Instagram for his art paintings and maybe he could sell them. She said, I know, right? 83 years old and now up on Instagram. I was thrilled. I think he is so talented, but he always doubts himself. So the confidence I got from She's on the Money transferred over to my 83-year-old grandfather. Here's a sample of his work and she's posted one of his absolutely stunning paintings and she said she's very happy if you guys would follow his instagram which is pop art 1937 (laughs) she said have a wonderful day and honestly it's the most wholesome thing i've seen in our community in a really long time (laughs) so i know we say don't promote yourselves in the facebook group but i just felt like i'd let that one through because it was too cute not to share that's so cute that's so cool all right Now, moving into the main chat of today's show, a question and answer with arguably your favourite finance people, Glenn and I. Ryan, you're going to run the show from here on in. What is our first question? All right, question one is from Brianna. She said, how do you balance the risk of investing and in brackets losing it all or not investing and therefore not building wealth. So how do you get that balance right of wanting to invest to build wealth, but also not wanting to lose it all as well? Let's uh, start with you, Glenn. There's some misconceptions in that statement and that's okay because we've just got to learn. People often say, oh, I'll lose it all if I invest. Now, we just have to firstly unpack and work out what investing actually is. And at its purest form, if you believe company like Woolworths is a a business that has a long track record, that has growth potential in the way that people will always need groceries, and we buy a share in that business, well, that's not that risky for the long term. However, if you think, well, I'm not going to invest money for growth and leave it in cash, 
you know, the economists listening will probably say, well, that's not a good thing either because inflation will actually erode the buying power of your money. So at two ends of the spectrum here, we've got the risk of doing nothing over the long term and also the risk of potential downside at the extremities. Now, sure, if you purchased a, a new type of cryptocurrency that no one ever heard of, yeah, you're pretty much kissing your money away. But if you bring it back to a, an everyday basket of companies that are well run and they've got a long track record, that's not as risky as a new cryptocurrency. So it's just understanding the risk spectrum. And with investing, and Victoria, you'd probably agree that the short term in the investing world is probably under five to seven years. Longer term is over five to seven years, whatever that is in your situation. So you might go, oh, I don't need the money for six years. Well, there's a risk that I leave it in cash and it gets 1.5% in my savings account for the next six years. Well, to me, that's a risk that I don't want to take. So there's a risk of opportunity cost of the money not being invested in a, a diversified portfolio. So I think if I don't need the money within the next six years or seven years, I'm going to invest that because the risk is too great not to invest it. Do you think it's a lack of education or maybe just what makes headlines is those big, juicy, spectacular fails? But I was actually saying to V earlier, there is this misconception of if I put some money in investments, it could all be gone. Is that Why is that that people think that way? Yeah, because there is just... I honestly think we just get told by our family members... Uh, you hear their horror stories like your uncle's friend had this horror story and he lost it all in shares. No, no, he bought into a company that had no track record and they were crap at running it. Uh, and that that transfers over to buying shares is risky. So I think if you understand what your investing is, you can actually start to quantify some of that risk. Uh, but I think the first thing, anyone listening who actually works a job and gets paid superannuation, you're an investor because you've got a super account that has money invested in the market. And I would call your super fund, you know, on your lunch break one day, take 20 minutes, call your super fund and get them to explain to you how your money is invested in their super fund. Number one, you pay them a bloody fee so they can work for it. But number two, it's, a, <laughs> it's an easy way for you to start to understand investing because you already have money that's invested. That's a really good point. And furthering that, I think it's really important to understand investing as a whole, because once you start to understand the concept of investment and the fact that a good investment portfolio is really well diversified, you end up with a lot of companies that look like Woolworths, like what you were talking about before, Glenn, that, you know, if Woolworths for some reason isn't doing so well, maybe Coles is, and maybe something else is going really well. So it's all about managing risk by not putting all of your eggs in one basket. It. So for me, these kinds of questions, and this is not to stereotype, but these kinds of questions often come from people who haven't spent enough time yet understanding what the share market is made up of. Because as you were saying before, you're right, Uncle Uncle Glenn put money into a stock and lost everything. And it's like, well, actually, if Uncle Glenn had put his money in a well-diversified share portfolio, you know, 50 years ago he'd be in a banging position today. And I think that that's what people forget to, you know, forget to take into consideration. And something else I hear a lot is, oh, my parents were investors and they lost everything during the GFC. And you kind of go, okay, but have you actually taken the time to ask them what they were invested in and how they lost money? And more often than not, when you start digging, you find 
they lost money because they pulled all of their shares out when they tanked or they lost money because they were invested in something that actually wasn't going to perform well over the long term or they were taking on more risk than they should have for their risk profile. So I think if you as an individual start to learn what a risk profile actually means and know what that means for you individually, as you were saying before, Glenn, how long are you investing for? How tenacious are you? Are you willing to take on that risk or are you in a position where you just want really conservative investments, in which case maybe you do just want to keep things in cash? Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's all about understanding your opportunities. Let's go to Nicole because it's sort of on the same topic. She said, obviously, with COVID and everything happening this year, the stock market has been all over the place. So when would be the best time to buy shares, keeping in mind how volatile it's been? Do we wait until COVID's over? What do we get in now? Is there even an answer to this question? Uh, Fee, we'll get you to go first on this one. I think that there's a very good quote about this and it is, be greedy when other people are fearful and fearful when other people are greedy. And that was by the OG Warren Buffett. But I think it's really important to understand that The market being off isn't a negative thing for new investors. I'm not saying go and buy dodgy stocks and hope they recover. But right now, there are potentially a number of really great assets that are currently being undervalued. So if you're going to purchase shares, now might be a really good time to get on it while it is off. In saying that, there are also a number of shares that are really performing well through this period. Like if you look at the performance of, I wouldn't say these are conservative investments by any stretch of the imagination, but over the last 12 months, how Tesla and Afterpay have, you know, performed. And then we look at like uh, DocuSign and even Zoom, which we're using at the moment, their share prices have gone through the roof. So I wouldn't say as a whole, every single share price is off, but I would say, yeah, you're right. Some, some parts of the share market are suffering. And the reason that they are suffering is because we've just gone through a global pandemic, but that doesn't mean that that business is a bad business. It just means that their share price has dipped because of the way the market is performing. Glenn, what do you reckon about this? Yeah, I I can only speak to what I do in my own personal life. And that is, I'm kind of, I, I invest in like a diversified pool of stocks. So I use index funds, I use, you know, managed funds and all that stuff. My whole focus with investing is focusing on spending less than what I earn and investing the rest. And then by I mean investing the rest, that is I've got a monthly amount set up that goes into my portfolio every month. I've got a monthly amount set up that goes into my super every month. So I focus my energy on how much money I can shovel into good investments over the long term. Now, the best time to buy shares uh, with this coronavirus stuff uh, was to go back in time yeah. to, to the 22nd of March that would have been uh, the perfect 2020, investment which is time. the bottom of the correction. So the market has basically recovered. And don't at me to say, no, it hasn't. It's not there. But I'm going to at you. Yeah, basically, um, basically it's back to where it was. And that's been a result of uh, the economy starting to recover off the back of the news that they're will be a vaccine probably in market globally by March. So to answer your question, uh, don't worry too much about the what ifs and if onlys. Worry more about the future and how much you can put in each month or each week or week, each whatever your frequency is. Uh, because then at the end of this year, I 
with my 12 monthly installments, I would have got the average buyer price anyway. Absolutely. And this is something I talk about a lot on the podcast. So apologies to my friends listening that think I sound like a broken record, but I would be an incredibly rich woman if I could time the market. It's just not possible. So for me, it's actually about consistency and your ability to start investing. So if you are able to start investing, great. If that happened in March, fantastic. You got off on a really great foot. Starting today, starting tomorrow, starting in six months, it doesn't matter when, just as long as you can personally afford to be investing, it's built into your budget and your cash flow. And it makes sense for you to be able to do that consistently. I think it's more about what's going on with you, not what's going on with the markets. So I think people get so caught up in, oh, is it a good time to invest or not? Whereas if you're investing regularly and consistently, it shouldn't actually be about what's going on in the market, but rather what you can personally commit to during that period of time only becomes a massive issue, in my personal opinion, if you were planning on retiring in March. Yeah, well, you're just working a little <laughs> bit longer now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sucks okay, to be so you, bye. All right, we've got one sentence to answer these questions each. Okay, okay. all right, go. All right, this question is from McKenna. She said, how many bank accounts do you have? Uh, I've got my blow account, which is one. I've got my savings account attached to my blow account on UpBank. So that's like my very, very short hey, I'm sorry, did you, What like, did you call that account? He calls it a blow account. Like he blows the money. Oh, like it's not, it's yeah. not, it's not like, for the type of blow that Someone's you might be used to in radio, Brian John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so as part of the Glenn James spending plan, I just teach have one account and for me it's UpBank and I know UpBank Yeah, UpBank are like my best friends. I'm currently trying to convince them to let me do videos for them. Oh, so I transfer 500 bucks a week to my Blow account and that's the only account that's on my phone, the only card that's in my wallet and that I just blow it without my using my brain. Food, fuel, entertainment, going out, Blow account. So I've got my Blow account and UpBank savings account. I've got my cash hub on my mortgage offset. I've got my tax because I'm self-employed on my mortgage offset. I've got my gifts, clothes, holidays, Christmas account on my mortgage offset. I've got my emergency fund on my mo- on my offset. So what's that? Six. I've got in my business for the podcast, I've got a business transactional account. I've got a business savings account for GST and retained earnings. And my family trust has got a bank account. So that's what, nine? I'm running out of fingers. And the 10th <laughs> one, I've still got a 9G account that I have here at the studio. If I need to send Nathan around to the shop to buy some coffee, I think that's it. We'll call it 10. You failed at the one sentence and I'm going to as well. There was one long sentence. Back off. Can I just say quickly that... Unfortunately, no one can see this being a podcast, but seeing Glenn James hold a microphone and then count to 10 on his fingers at the same time and try and talk is hilarious. I'm basic. I told you I'm a basic Bogan. <laughs> All right, Victoria, how many accounts for you? Okay, so same as Glenn, I actually follow my own budget and cash flow plan. So I have six accounts personally. I have my Cash Hub account, which when I have a mortgage one day will be my offset. And that's where all my bills and fixed costs come out of. Then same as Glenn, biggest fan of UpBank. My weekly spending account is my UpBank card and that's for my food, my fuel and my fun. It's also my blow money. I then transfer every single week at the end of the week, whatever's left in that account to my emergency account. That is not the emergency account. So I literally have it labeled as the not an emergency, but it feels like an emergency account. And then I have three different savings accounts. Personally, I've got my medium to long-term savings account. I've got a short-term savings account for smaller goals got an emergency fund which I'm not currently contributing to because it's just like sitting there and I do have about three months worth of expenses 
in that. I don't have three months worth of like income or savings or whatever. It is just literally three months worth of my bills and fixed costs and food money in case I ever need it. I then have a cash account for my investment plan. I then have my business account and I have like a number of different business accounts. I won't get too detailed into that just because for each entity that I own, I've got a business account. Then I have a GST account. I have a tax account. And then I have a general work savings account, which is for stuff like team Christmas parties and like things that I want to spend on, i.e. new microphones, stuff for the office. So, so how many is that? What that are we is up to? me. That was six plus, like six personal and then probably five different business accounts. And then on top of that, my friends, I have a joint account with my partner. Boom. That's cute. Thank you. That we try. Cute. Who would have guessed with the two of you guys asking that question? That could have been the whole episode. Today yeah, cool. we talk about Glenn and Victoria's bank but accounts. But the most important thing that you can get right though, Ryan, is literally your cash flow and budget. If you can get on top of that, you can create the life that you deserve. Like if you can understand where your money's coming in and where it's going, like it makes a lot of sense. But then also, Ryan, you said something really important to me this morning, which I don't know if you remember this, but you said any good business person will be able to understand their income and their expenses like on their phone if you ask them to produce them instantly instantly and i thought that that was really interesting because i can definitely do that and i think i i literally got it up and was like oh they're just here and i think that if you can't do that with your own personal accounts and you can't do that with your cash flow and you don't immediately know oh well actually glenn i spend 250 dollars a week on my like blow account like I want to know that. You need to know that. If you're not in a position where you're empowered to, you know, reach that and you're like, oh, maybe I spend 100 or maybe 300 or last week it was 500 because I bought a dress for a friend's thing. Like to me, that's not good enough. You're not on top of your money well enough. Kerry says, how old were you when you first invested and what was it? Oh. Let's start with you, Glenn. Can you remember? Yeah, I think I was 18 and it was a company out of Melbourne and it was something to do with the poultry pig industry and they were waiting on a oh. government grant because they were waiting on regulation thing and it was going to be a banger, uh, but I think I lost my money. And now I don't really invest in single stocks. Because you had a negative experience You're with the a person we were talking shop. about before. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Victoria Devine, first investment, how are we? Okay, so my first investment would have been when I was about 23 I'd wanted to invest for a really long time, didn't understand it, got to a point where I was like, I'm going to buy something. I did my research and I bought a Vanguard ETF with $100 and that was my first investment that I can remember unless I invested in something earlier. I don't think I did. I think that was my first like trade and having to like sign up to something. Tips, this is from Shelly, tips for a rental application. How do I make myself look great on paper? (laughs) And is there any hidden costs or fees associated with renting? Yeah, so for me, how to look good on paper, uh, don't lie because if they want to call you bluff, you might be screwed. When looking for rental, and I know this can be different whether you're in a capital city or you're somewhere where the rental vacancy rates are really low and you can Google that for fun in your spare time, everybody. But when it's a tight market, you might not be able to do this. However, where I grew up and where I rented my first couple of places, I would, number one, try and organize an inspection where it was just me and the agent. And then two, if there was other people, just try and speak to the rental property manager and just ask them like, hey, it's my first property or my second property. What does the tenant want? Like, is it worth my time? 
filling out this application if they want a family of three with a dog where it's just me and my mate. Like, so I would just kind of take the off the record type approach if you can with the rental manager. Just be like, look, what are the, what are we looking at here? Is it worth me applying? And then build a story that way and definitely try and get an inspection with no one else so you can have that agent and really suss out the property at your own pace and all that. Victoria, your tips for getting a rental. I like Glenn's approach, but I also think that it is really hard to have that approach. I live in the Melbourne, I would say, I live within 10 kilometres of the Melbourne CBD. When I was going for my last rental property with my partner, I would turn up to rental inspections and there'd be 40 or 50 people viewing the property. Yeah, and that was my preface, like it's not always possible. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not always possible and it is incredibly competitive where I live because there is a, I would say, shortage of really good quality properties. So the good quality properties that I wanted, so did every other mid-20s couple and we were all competing against each other. So the way that I got an edge there was to turn up to the inspection with my rental application completely filled out, printed, copies of my ID, copies of literally everything that they would ask so I could hand it to the person then and there and say, here's my application, it's complete. On top of that, I went above and beyond. And some people in my Facebook community have already laughed at me for this. I did a small like cover letter of who I was and who my partner was and what we did and what we were looking for because at the end of the day, the rental application might say, oh, Victoria is a financial advisor and this is what Victoria's partner does, but that doesn't really tell you anything about you know, you as a couple. So it was nice to just have a cover letter and say, we're looking for our first home together. This is what we want to do. This is how it is. And then to further that, we had a pet. So I have a cat or I now have two cats, friends. I've got Henry and Bailey and I actually made a tiny resume for Bailey so that they knew that they weren't agreeing to a nightmare cat and that he was well-groomed and really nice. And Did the cat have its own resume? He does. It's in my Facebook group. I'm happy to repost it. He has his own little resume. LinkedIn profile? Yeah, literally. It's like, hi, my name's Bailey and I'm a Tonkinese and these are the things I like. And he actually had a reference from his vet and from my last rental property manager who could verify that he was a good cat and 10 hours later we had the property and my real estate agent said that's why well it's obviously worked but let me just put it on the record that i'll never accept anytime you say to me oh sorry ryan i'm too busy at the moment because now i know what you do with your spare time that was like five years ago i'm done with you thank you question on this whole rental application thing i think it's about like you said, Victoria, making the life easy for the land rental. Absolutely. Land, sorry, and it really. shows that you're a good tenant. Like if you're going to put together a really beautiful application, they're probably going to assume that you're going to keep that property tidy. But also if you are in a different position, how can you stand out? Like if it's like, hey, this is a rental property, put on the application at the top. Hey, we would love to apply. Happy to discuss a 12-month lease at the get-go. Or, hey, we really love the property. It's advertised at four fifty a week or whatever it is in your area. Happy to pay four sixty. Yeah. Like just go above and beyond. Because me as a landlord, if I had a an applicant come in and they stood out and wanted a genuine win win, I would certainly entertain that. Okay. Second part of that question was about the unexpected costs of renting. I think if we just peel back the young in a little bit and say, look, in our budgets, we generally don't budget for things um, that are unexpected, we'd have an emergency fund. So you would budget for uh, property insurance, not 
like contents insurance. You would budget for, I don't know, a removalist if you had to move out. You would budget for, I don't know. I don't know if there is any unexpected costs of renting. And it's fair to say that's one of the benefits of renting. Literally what I was about to say. I think it's actually one of the benefits of renting is, you know, if something breaks, if the hot water system in your house breaks, well, actually, my friends, that's on your landlord. Roseanne says, do you have any tips for helping an impulse buyer in brackets, my husband? Also, how do I approach the subject with him? Well, Glenn, as an impulse buyer, how would you address this? (laughs) Speaking to someone who... Is this your partner's message through, Glenn? (laughs) So, basically, what I think, this is kind of the premise of Um, how I encourage people to set up their budgets and that is back to the spending plan and having a blow account. The blow account is to give the savers permission to spend. So, we've allocated an amount each week, each month or whatever it is into a separate account. You have permission to spend that if you're a saver because your life has to be in balance. You have to be, I believe, giving, saving and spending in that kind of order and have some balance there. Now, for the impulse purchases, what I would say is having that blow account, it can actually bring it to a front and give you that shock value of, I've only got X amount a week here that I can blow. So, I have to look at the impulses. I have to actually consider it. Another thing I do in my own life, I've got what we call a 1% rule. And that is, I don't buy anything at more than 1% of my take-home pay without sleeping on it. So, uh, if you earned 80 grand a year and you had 60 grand net income, your 1% is $600. You might even do half a percent. Make some type of rule in your life that you do not spend money without sleeping on it. So that would just kind of quarantine and cap that. And I think it's just my last part of this Sermon on the Mount about being an impulse spender. A lot of the times we spend money and we blow money and we don't make good financial progress is when we're not organized and we don't have a goal or we don't have something we're aiming for. So if you're aiming to save up, I'm saving $5,000 because I really want this new mountain bike or I'm saving $3,000 because I really want this new lounge that's going to be on sale over Christmas. When I see something online for $80 that I don't need, uh, and I'm speaking to me here, I will go, no, hang on, I would rather put that $80 towards my goal. So, you've got an instant front of mind trade-off. So, it's kind of not just one thing. It's about developing money systems and intentionality in your life so you can wake up and spend and give and save and live intentionally. I love that. Yeah. V, do you have anything to add to that? Because that was a great answer. Yeah. Like, maybe you should run She's on the Money. (laughs) I'll get you a wig and a pair of high heels and you can be me. Love it. But I think Everybody who listens to both of our podcasts would know that you and I are very on the same page. And so I have a similar rule and that is put 24 hours between you and your spending. So you said sleep on it and 1%. I haven't done that. I like that. But I think any purchase that is discretionary, that wasn't paying a bill, that wasn't food or fuel or, you know, things that you actually had to spend money on, just sleep on it. 
put as much time between you and your purchase as possible, 24 hours as a minimum. You know, if you can do a week, if you can do a month, that's fantastic, especially when it comes to things that are quite impulsive. So we're not saying you cannot have that item, which makes you want it more. We're just saying you can have that item next week if you still want it. Yeah. And I think that that plays into the difference between instant gratification and delayed gratification, which puts you in a position of control. So it's not saying, no, you can't have the item. It's just saying, no, you can have it later. And I think that that's the most important thing here is we're not saying compromise your lifestyle. We're not saying you can't have these things. That's bad. We're just saying be really thoughtful about your purchases and create goals. You'll be in a situation where if you have shared goals as a couple, you are more likely to commit to it. And I can probably guarantee you're not in a position where you have really clean, clear financial goals that you're working together for. Because if you did, you'd be in a position where you weren't worrying about your partner's blow money. Yeah. Can I add to that? Because that's so good. Like it's just the whole sleeping on it, the whole being planned. The reason this came home to roost to me a few years ago before I developed kind of the spending plan that I'm doing is because I got home one night from shopping in the city and I had a $1,200 Apple watch that I woke up that morning not planning. And that's a big problem for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was an impulse purchase. Number two, it was freaking over $1,000. And number, That's epic. Yeah. And number three, why did I have as a spender that much money on me in my accounts anyway? And that's why I've got my little iPhone here and my little tap a pay thing. I don't have credit cards or any of that stuff. I don't have access to just mindlessly blow a thousand dollars. Yeah. And that's really important. Limiting your access if you're in a position where you know that's something that you're very likely to do. All right. Chloe Young has a question about side hustles and small businesses. And it's sort of two questions. So is Chloe Young that graphics designer that we both are in love with the work of, Glenn? I'm not sure. I know I feel like it might be. We when I hired our graphic designer here, uh, she was too good for what I needed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I think that's who we're talking about. Chloe, the graphic designer who has a side hustle who's literally too good for us. <laughs> yeah, well, and Chloe, if you are listening, thank you. I needed a bit more of an all-rounder uh, that could do some <laughs> other marketing stuff. Glenn's recruitment feedback. Glenn, you should have been providing that feedback during the recruitment process. But what was her question, Ryan John? She asks, what tips do you give someone who's starting a side hustle or a small business? So maybe just from each of you, one really important thing to keep in mind or to check off or to, you know, have front of mind before you're starting. And also I'm going to add one. What's the opposite? What is something that people should definitely not do? So we'll start with you, V. Okay. So the first thing for me would be create a budget for your business and do as much stuff before you actually launch your side hustle as possible. So build your website for free, you know, organize how you're going to register it, make a plan, make a business plan, put everything together, do your budgets. You can essentially create an entire business model and make a plan and, you know, get quotes for the product to be shipped in or whatever that is before you actually start dabbling and putting your feet in the water and putting a dollar into that business. What I want you to do is create a very clean and clear plan about how much that's going to cost you and where you need to put that money. So, If you're starting a side hustle, no doubt you probably have a little bit of a budget to spend, whether that's $500 or $5,000. I think working out what your business plan is and how you're going to allocate that budget so that you get the best bang for buck up front is really important because too often do I see small business owners prioritizing the wrong things. 
If you're just starting, social media is fantastic and a really great free way of starting to promote your product and seeing a small business investing $10,000 in a website from the get-go when they don't even have, you know, their first sale through the door, I would argue is a really terrible idea. When you can go online, create a free website so that your clients can find you and do as much stuff for free and then upgrade once you've got cash flow. So for me, budgeting, hands down. What's yours, Glenn? Yeah, I'll go a different angle because that's I can't add anything more perfect than that. Uh, I would say as soon as you step out into that world of I'm self-employed, I'm a side hustler, uh, I use the example of a, a baker. So you're a baker, you're employed as a baker, you then go and start your own bakery. So that minute you start your own bakery, my friend, you are no longer a baker. The baking, the day-to-day has to take care of itself. You can't be learning your craft, practicing on your own clients. That has to take care of itself. You are now a business owner, first and foremost. All your energy, and this is what I did when I started my business, the first year, like, yeah, you're going to help people in your network. And and this is what happens. Like those people that, um, and I love Thermomix parties because you go to the Thermomix party and you get the uh, mushroom risotto made and all that stuff. And that's awesome. Do you go but to a lot of Thermomix parties, I've been Glenn to a James? couple just to get free dinner. But basically what happens is some of these- Money small, win. Yeah, that's right. Some of these small businesses- Small businesses fail uh, 75% within the first kind of five years and because basically people, uh, they use their personal networks and they run out of people to serve and sell stuff to. So in my first year of small business, I focused on, my whole energy was focusing on who can send me clients. So I met with 32 local businesses. So I had a financial planning business. I met with 32 uh, mortgage brokers, accountants, lawyers Hey, I'm Glenn. Hey, I do this. Can can I help any of your clients? Because then if you get that supply nailed, all the other stuff will take care of itself. You don't have clients. You don't have people to work on. You don't have a small business. And then that will build the sustainability that you've got a constant inflow of new business. So first yeah, I love and foremost, that. you are a business owner. You're not a graphic designer now, Chloe. You're a business owner. Chloe, pay attention. Pay yeah, attention, Chloe. Chloe. Um, love you. And just on that, is that as well as time management is it also just a mindset of you're a business owner not a baker i yeah to use totally. that analogy it's a mindset because you need so what the trap can be is uh as the baker working in your own bakery now so you could be the best baker in the world but you can't run a business like and you won't make any money and when you run a business yourself you actually need to make good money because you're risking uh your time your effort your money you're risking someone slipping over in your shop and suing you. So you're taking all this inherent risk on and risk needs reward. That's a basic concept. So you need a premium for that risk that you're taking. So you must, must, must know that you are first and foremost a business owner and not worry about making the best hot cross bun, which all that's hygiene. You've got to be good at what you do. You've got to do it. But don't stand around trying to perfect the best hot cross bun if you've got no customers to sell it to. I think that's really important as well. I love that. Yeah. Can I ask a follow-up question for both of you just sort of on that topic? Yeah. Is it fair to say, and I could be way off here, that if you're a baker, let's stick with our example, and you just love baking bread, yep. that 
doesn't have to mean you have to own a bakery because you might not be interested in running a business. You just want to bake the best bread. 100%. And then conversely, would it be true that maybe you're not the best baker, but you would love to run a bakery? And so it doesn't mean because you weren't the best baker in the world, you can't run a really successful bakery. Are the two like mutually exclusive? Or? Uh, I, I think if I can jump in Victoria, I think it's a little bit fraught with danger. A couple of years ago, a friend of a friend of mine in Sydney, we looked at buying a, you know, we were like, oh, let's buy a Domino's pizza franchise. You know, God, you've got to James. know, you've got to know how the business works. You've got to know the processes. You've got to know the lingo. So I think if you did want to run a bakery and not be a baker, I think you need to be in that world, work there, just be at the counter serving bread. You've got to learn that world uh, because that will make you a better business owner if you understand the the business. I would a thousand percent agree with that, Glenn. As as a business owner, and you are as well, like me understanding every single aspect of my business means that if my team, some, and I really don't think they ever will, but should someone on my team fail me, I can step straight in and take over that role. Yeah. So I think it's incredibly- Could you edit the audio for this podcast? When there is a will, there is a way, Ryan John. <laughs> but I think knowing where to be able to step in and do everything in your business is arguably essential, especially when you're a small business, you can't rely on other people. And I know inherently how to, I would argue, how to run a financial services business because I am a financial advisor and I still see clients, albeit I don't see heaps of clients. For me, that's really important so that I'm always staying in touch with how that business is running and what compliance look like and what regulation is so that I can be the best team member I can be. But on the flip side, I don't see anything wrong with you saying, I just want to be a baker. Go get a great job, like get a great job in a bakery. Like not everyone has to be a business owner. I feel like there's genuinely too much pressure on people to, you know, be the best at it, but then go out on their own. Like you don't have to, if that's not aligned to your goals and values. Yeah. And if you, if you're hating life where you're working, it doesn't mean I job. have to do my own thing. I said, go get a new job. Like, just don't put up with crap. The older I get, the less I put up with crap. Okay. On that note, Ryan, is there any final parting questions you want to ask us? No, but I was just going to add, even though the the Venn diagram of she's on the money and what Glenn James does, I feel like a lot of people are in both communities. But just in case, Glenn, can you give us a final spiel on where we can find your stuff and all the things you're up to? Because you seem to be a very busy man with new stuff happening all the time. Yeah, so um, obviously Instagram, podcasts, so you know, we run My Millennial Career, which is the careers podcast. I run My Millennial Business, which you're about to start a business one next year. I think you've announced that. It's you? on. Yep, sweet. Uh, we run My Millennial Property and you're going to do a property one. We're launching <laughs> I just want to be Glenn Health. James, guys. Yeah. <laughs> We're launching My Millennial Health in January. Oh, cool. We're actually launching She's on the Health Kick yeah, uh, in yeah, December. Like- <laughs> so, Oh, sweet. We're not, awesome. we're not actually, but we're now not. we will. <laughs> Right. Yeah, do it. Um, lots going on. Facebook is our best port of uh, Instagram or the Facebook group. Yeah, we're just having a lot of fun out here. And I love when people listen to both podcasts because, you know, am I going to get it right every time? Nope. Is Victoria going to get it right every time? Yep. But you can, get some balance. <laughs> you can get some balance and perspective because my way isn't the way, it's a way. Exactly. And I think that that's important and probably a very good note to leave it on no one's ever 100% correct. I mean, we're not giving away false information, but at the end of the day, just because my opinion is on a podcast doesn't make it the be all end all. And I'm sure you feel the same way, Glenn. Like it's so good, especially when talking about money to get heaps of opinions so you can formulate one that is perfect for you. Totally. 
But just before we head off, I would actually like to acknowledge and pay respects to Australians, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, the traditional custodians of the lands, the waterways and the skies all across Australia. We thank you for sharing and for caring on the land which we are able to learn. We pay our respects to elders past and present and we share our friendship and our kindness. Now... I get to wrap the boring but important stuff all on my own. Excellent. Because I was going to say, I don't have all this information, so you just keep reading. That's fine. The advice shared on She's on the Money is general in nature and does not consider your personal circumstances. She's on the Money exists purely for educational purposes and should not be relied upon to make an investment or personal decision. And please stress less, I am an authorised representative of Australia Pacific Funds Management, proprietary limited, ABN 34132 463257 AFSL 339151. And as always, albeit he's not usually here for this part, thank you How so awkward. much for. Thanks to me, who's going to edit this later. Thank you so much to Ryan John for one, putting up with me, and two, for putting today's podcast together. You're welcome. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you, and miss you, Georgia. Bye. I love you. Bye. <laughs> See you later, guys.